You're tuning in to Weird Reality, the number one destination for super fans of writers, podcasters, and researchers who challenge you to test the boundaries of your imagination and question that which society considers normal. Basking on the sunny beaches of the Riviera, exploring the tropical islands of the South Pacific, strolling through ancient Maya ruins in Latin America, these are the locations that dreams are made of. Only the wealthiest people in the world can afford such ventures, and only the best travel agents can arrange them. And if Asia, Volpe knows better than most the work required to set up such an event. As founder of Expedition Blood Travel, she has arranged many trips for her clientele. However, rather than exploring the chateaus along the lower river valley, her patrons prefer to spend two months in a region in the northern hemisphere known as the Alaskan Triangle. The Triangle is a cold, barren swath of land stretching from Barrow on the state's northmost point, south through Yukon to Juneau, and west to Anchorage. The locals call this region the Devil's Graveyard. Planes and ships frequently go off the radar, never to be heard from again. 16,000 people have gone missing without a trace since 1988. Every year, one person out of every 250 who lives in Alaska disappears, most in this region. It's one of the most inhospitable locations on the planet, cold, desolate, and deadly. No sane person would enter the triangle unless they had to. Oh, did I mention? The Anastasia's clients are vampires. Coming soon from Tales from the Weird, Expedition Blood, a serial horror podcast brought to you for some of the best writers in horror. Coming soon, 2022. You are watching Weird, where horror, science fiction, and fantasy authors Alan Gamboa, Scott Baker, Rich Rastucci, and Hadley Thorne review movies, old and new, streaming on your favorite services. Go grab your popcorn, Coke, and rotten tomatoes. It's going to be weird. We are here, and uh, tonight we're going to be doing two movies, comparing them. One is the Korean zombie comedy, Zombie for Sale. And the other one is the classic fan favorite, Shaun of the Dead. Now, we're, these are two comedies, and like I said, they have zombies in them. And we're just going to kind of, you know, uh, compare them, rip into them a little bit if, if we need to, um, and just, just talk about them. Um, so I hope your Thursday is going great, and I hope this is making it a little better. Uh, anybody... Got anything they want to throw out there before we start getting into the meat of our show? I did say the meat. Yes. <laughs> nice zombie reference. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I know that you had told me that this was a good to be paired up with Shaun of the Dead, but I kept thinking about that zombie love story. And I can't think of one bodies. Yes, that one. Yeah, that would have been a yeah. It would have been. Hey, Chassie. Hey, Chassie. Hey, Chassie. They're more similar. But there's some similarities I'm sure you, all three of you saw in this movie. Sure. Um, 
So I guess I'll do you, Scott, want to do Shaun of the Dead? I'm sure you're more versed in a lot of the uh, trivia in Shaun of the Dead. Actually, I am not a huge <laughs> Shaun of the Dead fan. I've watched it several times. I love it. It's a classic, but I'm Son not a bitch. I'm not okay. big into the trivia on that. Sorry. You want to you wanna do uh, zombie for sale then? I'll do zombie for sale. Okay. Um, it is actually, we all know, zombie, uh, the South Koreans make fantastic zombie flavor. And, and that's it. That's all you need to know. <laughs> well, thanks, fair. everyone. Great show tonight. Uh, See, you didn't have to talk. I was a little. Sorry, I turned into a zombie there for a minute. No, I mean I was a little leery going into it because I figured it's hard to do a good zombie comedy. Right. This movie, I was laughing my ass off through the whole thing. Um, there's this funny running gag in the beginning. There's this. You know what it reminded me of? Do you remember the movie we watched uh, a few months ago about the Korean family? Yes. Uh, moved into the house. Par and parasite. They parasite. 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 Yeah. And the, the premise of this is there's an underground government facility. They're doing stuff they shouldn't. Um, you assume that zombies and biological weapons are being made. And this one zombie escapes through a sewer system. And he is not the smartest zombie in the bunch. Let's just put it that way. Hey, yeah. Hey, Whitney. I mean, he's hey, up Whitney. there with the he's up there with the Marx Brothers and the Three Stooges. He looks like a K-pop star, you know. Yeah. He, does. he really does. Yeah, he probably is. Before and know. after haircut. Yeah. Probably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after. Well, I looked up the actors. None of them, the, none of them have ever played in this, a, a Korean zombie movie before, wow. which was good. So he stumbles into this town that's falling apart. The uh, it's economically declining, and he has the lovely misfortune of falling amongst this family of. They put the fun and dysfunctional is the best way to describe them. Almost. Uh, oh yeah. my God! They are just. They are poor. They want to make money. The father, his only goal in life is to go to Hawaii. Doesn't want to bring his family with him. He wants to visit Hawaii by himself. Uh, his wife has long since passed. Um, he has one child who married this woman who's pregnant, but she's very money conscious. She's very, we've got to keep things tight. Uh, his daughter is a free spirit, and his other son is this wild entrepreneur from Seoul who comes back to spend some time with the family. They discover the zombie in the barn, and as, of course, what do zombies do? They bite the first person that they see, and the first person is the father. Hi, Laura. Hi, Landa. Hi, Laura. Hi, Landa. Uh, the first Hello. person they see is the father, and they bite him. So the whole family's preparing for the father to die. He wakes up the next morning, and he's 20 years younger. He's healthy. He's virile. He looks good. His hair's growing back. So naturally, they get the idea, oh, we can use him as an aphrodisiac. We can, uh, He's our fountain of youth zombie. And of course, everything goes downhill from there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is a funny movie. Um, I, I love the entire thing. 
I'm not giving away anything, but I thought the ending was brilliant. Yes, yes. I thought that was the best ending. Oh, and one other thing. This zombie's a vegetarian. He won't eat flesh. He loves cabbage. He, he destroys a head of cabbage like most zombies with a human head. So they have to put that hot sauce on. They have to put the hot sauce on the cabbage for him to eat it. So that's how they get the zombie to bite people. They put the hot sauce on a person's arm. He bites it. They get young. And oh, one and other they thing. Them. They pay them for it. Big box, yeah. Oh, and one other thing. The uh, the sister, the young free, uh, free-going sister, falls in love with the zombie and thinks that's going to be her mate for life or unlike this. <laughs> but I thought it was, it was a great I laughed through the wife sitting out in the basement laughing. So it must have been a good movie. Oh, it was. We were looking for something to watch and we're just skimming through movies. I think it was on Amazon, right? And we're just, yes, yeah. You know, I, I see that and it didn't look appealing, but I hit the trailer and we watched the trailer. And my wife are like, this might be good. And we laughed our asses off. The Koreans yeah. are nailing it with the yes. zombie genre. Yeah, they are. They're killing it. I mean, we should be ashamed. <laughs> I, I think for some people, the, the first 20, 30 minutes of this movie might be difficult to get through. I'll give you my address. <laughs> Excuse me. I agree, um, Rich. I agree. I, I, I liked it, but it's, um, it's really dark noir comedy, um, and it's deadpan, and some people just don't like that. Yeah. I can get through some of that if it's funny, and this actually was funny. Um, it was just, just like Scott said: the scene with the dog chasing the zombie <laughs> down the street is just—it's just—it's so stupid. It's hilarious. And the way he uh, runs, the way they're yeah, just, he's, he's <laughs> a zombie run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he shows up, and these little kids are throwing—excuse <clears throat> me—throwing rocks at him, thinking he's a bum. And of course, he doesn't <laughs> attack the kids. Yeah, he just kind of strolls into the. Uh, into the town and, and, and he meets this uh, pretty scary looking dog who actually isn't scary at all. He's a great dog and the dog just chases him around. I think the dog was trying to play with him, really. I don't think the dog was trying to hurt him. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, that's what oh, I was uh, laughing at. Like every scene, like somebody would be walking down the street and in the background, the zombie would run and the dog would be yep. chasing yep. Exactly. And they didn't care. You know, they didn't yeah. care. You know, right. You know, right. Well, I love the scene uh, where the family realized he was a zombie because the uncle or brother, whoever showed him the video and they all move away from the dad. Yeah. <laughs> he picks up a shovel, right? Or something like that. <laughs> well, I, like and I thought it was also really cool that the movie they showed him was trained to Busan. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. yes. That was funny. <laughs> And he oh, made I this, like uh, the zombie uh, combat manual. Or the, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I like it, when the dad. It was cute. I really liked it. Yeah. I thought it was a really good choice. Well, when the dad wakes up after he's been bitten and he's younger and he's yeah. taking a whiz and he's like yeah. got this big stream going, you know, yeah. and he's all proud of it. <laughs> and, then and all the other guys show up and they're like, ooh, wow, yeah. you know. <laughs> what did you eat? What's, what's going on? Yeah. That was funny. Well, that was great. And then putting the hot sauce on the guy's arms. To, oh, that was you know. just. Yeah. So, that, that. I never saw a trailer for it. Uh, so I didn't really know what was going on. 
my rib is broken. It hurts. Sorry, Laura. Um, <laughs> um, so when they started bringing the people in to put the hot sauce on their arms and get bitten to get younger, I'm like, this is going to go bad. This is not going to go the way they think. This is pretty dumb. I mean, zombie. What, what are well, you thinking? The, and it just... It just but the funny thing was, I lived three years in Korea. That was a big thing. I mean, you know, taking a supplement to stay young and manly and virile was... If there was such a thing as, you know, letting a zombie bite you, he'd be 10 years younger, it would have gone over me. Yeah. Well, it sure did in the movie. Yeah. Isn't that why tigers are going extinct? Because so much um, of, of them is used to make men viral or viral? I don't know, but yeah, but there was some weird stuff in Korea you could get. What'd you get? I don't need it. <laughs> Good save. Good save. <laughs> this this movie is a lot of fun. It had the uh, the reference to to uh, Land of the Dead in it with the fireworks. Yep. Yes. Fireworks yes. Yep. And it had another reference to Shaun of the Dead when the guys are walking through the crowd of zombies, you know, yep. and and it Walking doesn't. Dead kind of too, you know, when. Hmm. The two stooges, I guess, trying to make it to that crowd of. Yeah. Oh yeah, but it was it was fun. The the actors were all very funny in it. Um, sometimes it, it pulled little heartstrings. You know, it had a little heart to it. Yeah, you know? especially did. the end. The, the end parts were were, yeah. were pretty uh pretty good. So, it wrapped it up pretty good. Like Scott said, the end was fantastic it was done really yes. well but it yeah. didn't go the way i thought it was gonna go i mm. thought i don't want to wreck it for anyone but i mean that's kind of what we do um <laughs> the uh <coughs> excuse me i thought the father having left and gone to hawaii had spread the plague across the world i did too that's, that's yeah, what and, i thought and that's it just I... that so we actually never found out if that didn't happen because yeah. they're trapped in the city trying to heal everyone yeah. well i don't i don't want to wreck that yeah. that's that's what was really good about it yeah the, the scene though where the dad has to bite an arm we're not giving anything away that's <laughs> awesome that's, yes. it's like yeah yeah you know how. yeah that was a, he, <laughs> it he, was he like, played that very well yeah. it was a it was a great movie it was a everybody got what was due to yep. yeah well i'm glad you all enjoyed it uh because yeah like yes. I said we saw it and i thought I you guys you guys got to see this because I, I thought it was funny. And I was it hoping is a movie it was, that I will watch again. It will. I don't watch Scott's a zombie again. Look at him. He's got his finger pointing up, too. <laughs> Actually, hey, Jim. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Jim. <laughs> hey, Jim. <laughs> so what would you what would you all rate this movie? Me? I, I would probably give this. Are we doing this out of five? Yeah, yeah. I, I would probably give this. I would give it a solid four. I think uh, three point eight to four. It was. Um, it had a lot of stuff that that I really enjoyed. How about you, Scott? Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everyone. Welcome to Texas. <laughs> I just wanted an, an idea for a, a short story just come to mind. Uh, I'd give it a four point two. I thought it was really good. I thought the character, 
it really was like a common story, but it didn't beat you over the head with it because you were too busy laughing at the the zombie and the family and those idiots in the village. Just, oh yeah, yeah. The, and the policemen, they were. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. yes. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. I know it was just so. It's like the most positive person in the movie was the zombie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Landon. Thing my wife mentioned is that for me. <laughs> the, the zombie seemed to evolve a little as as yeah. it went as it went along. He actually yeah. he could speak at the end, so I yeah. thought that was pretty good. How about you, Natalie? I liked it. I'll, I'll say this: like for the first thirty minutes, I forgot I didn't have subtitles on. That's how good it was. <laughs> so that's always a, a telling thing for me because I watch a lot of Korean horror, and I just was—I didn't know what they were saying, but it was like I knew what they were saying. I could follow, and mm. I always like that. It was really good. I—I I, I had seen a trailer for it, so I knew it was something I wanted to watch. And then Alan recommended it, and it was—it's just. A really good time, and it was a fun pair with Song of the Dead, which is one of my favorites. Yeah. So, so what number did. would you assign this movie, Abby? I'd probably give it a four point five. Excuse me. I'd I'd give it a solid four. I mean, I as I put it, five up. I'd give it a solid four. I loved it. I thought it was good. <laughs> I'd watch it again. And uh, like I said, I'm really so glad you all enjoyed us. it. Yeah, I'm gonna. Like I said, I'd go four point five mainly because. Um, it was unexpected. It had a mm. lot of stuff in it that I would I would not have guessed it. You know, a lot of times you can kind of plot out what's going to happen in your head. Absolutely this was kind agreed. of mine. I mean, it was it was fresh. It was something a little bit different. Hey ho! I hope. Hey ho! I hope. Yeah, it, it was it was it was a really dumb movie. It was just dumb, and I, and I and I loved the oh, dumb yeah. of it. It was it was great, and those people were just borderline evil. But not bad people, but terrible people. It was just, it was right. It's impossible to explain. They were but kind they of were characters. Likeable. Yes, exactly. Yes, they were. Yeah. They were it, the characters were. were likable, even though they tried to screw everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So. But they didn't try to screw everybody. I mean, the guys in the town were so, so wanted this so bad. They were paying out the money right and left. All these Boy. people were. It was like, give me your money, give me your money. You know? Well, remember I was they actually, put, yeah, I'm sorry. You're going where I'm yeah. going, so go ahead. The go car, ahead. about the car yep. at the beginning. Yep. Yeah. The, oh, that. The yeah. car breaks yeah. down and they end up, you know, they set up a trap, right? Was it exactly. It was, it was a yeah. cow trap on the road. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I'm sorry I didn't hear that. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, they were kind of shadowy people. But yeah. they were like, you know, I always said they're likable. You know, yeah. he liked them all. Even the brother that was trying to screw everybody over. Yeah. You know, but he was, was that one money? Of my favorite characters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> were they? Were they all? Were they trying to save money up to send him to the dad to Hawaii? Because no. I, remember... I don't think so. No, okay, because don't you remember every time the old man got near the cash box, the uh, the pregnant wife would like slap his hands okay. and tell him to go. Yeah. Okay, because I thought she said. You know, uh, soon you won't have to pay for your pay anything to go to Hawaii. Right. Take right. Well, he ended up taking the money anyway. He ended up stealing it from them anyway. Here's this old ass gas station. I'm taking all the money. Good luck. Yeah. My dad, baby. <laughs> One of the things that I noticed in this movie and in that movie, Parasite, is that, it, and even that movie that um, Joe Hansen picked, Alan, that. 
Marine movie. Oh, the host. The host. Yeah, the host. Yes. Um, there the sense of family in Korean movies. Yes. It's very nice to see that. It is. Korean culture. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. I mean, the elderly are not shunted aside in this. You know, and there's still also the. Uh, the same thing with me, Laura. The same thing with me. That's why. I, that's why that I is our job. Paper handy. That is our um, job, Laura. You know, and I just like. But what I loved about it was, you know, the old man. I am the old man. I'm in charge, and the, just the pregnant wife, who is not even a member of the family except by marriage, keeps on slapping him down. Yeah. When she hit him with that frying pan. Oh my God! That was. <laughs> Korean women actually run. Korea. The men just they let us they let the Korean men think they run Korea and that's why everything goes well. <laughs> so it's like every other country then. Yes. <laughs> except, him, my wife, you. except here my wife lets me know who's in charge. <laughs> well, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, it's the Koreans aren't afraid to show love in a family. Mm -hmm. And no. that's something that we don't really see much in American cinema or film anymore. Like, you might see one or two family members that are really close, but not the whole thing. You have been listening to Watching Weird, a segment of the Weird Realities Podcast. Join Alan, Scott, Rich, and Hadley every Thursday on Facebook Live as they dissect, debate, and discuss their favorite and not-so-favorite movies. Join host Hadley Thorne, Jen Salmons, and the Weird team as they explore and analyze the most heinous true crimes of the last century cold cases, diabolical minds of serial killers, and unsolved mysteries. Tower Bridge in England is a small suburb of Birmingham in the UK's West Middle. In the spring of 1943, four local boys made a gruesome discovery while illegally poaching in the woods of Hagley Hall's estate. That's where they found the infamous witch tree. While climbing the tree in search of bird's nest, one of the boys, Bob Farmer, found a deep depression in the upper areas of the tree's trunk. In it, he found a human skull pressed so deep into the depression that the tree had begun to form around it. At first, he believed it to be a human skull, and so began to dig it out from the tree. Okay, I'm getting feedback now. Yeah. So am I. Hey, Stephen. Hello. Okay. Let's all talk for a minute. And okay. I'm going to um, mute myself. Y'all keep talking. Blah, 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 I actually saw that movie last night. It was good. I'm doing a review of it this week. Which one is it? Hotel Transylvania 4, Transformania. Gotcha. Yeah, I saw the uh, previews to that last night and started to watch it and ended up going with uh, oh, Ron Reynolds' uh, Free Guy. Oh, I'm going to watch that later, yeah. Yeah, that one was good. It was fun. It's, it's actually a good movie. It begins a little slow, but it's really a love story between Johnny and uh, Dracula. Okay. I need to watch that. I've not watched that one myself, so. Okay, so I'm not hearing any feedback on our ends, are you? No. I think it might be me. Ah, you're the problem. <laughs> but it seems to clear, be cleared up right now, so let's yes. try it again. Okay. All right. I'm just going to one, two, three, and go.
Stourbridge in England is a small suburb of Birmingham in the UK's West Midlands. In the spring of 1943, four local boys made a gruesome discovery while illegal po illegally poaching in the foot. The, I can't speak at all. <laughs> and I'm hearing feedback. Yeah. Crap. Okay, I'm just going to put my second computer away. And we'll just wing it. Um, okay, I can record that later. All right, guys. So what did y'all think about this story? Okay, first, that is probably one of the coolest trees I have ever seen in my life. It was weird. It <laughs> is, but awesome. <laughs> it looks right, like the kind of tree that you would find a body in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like the kind of witchy kind of tree. Yeah, yeah, it, it's wild looking. But uh, yeah, it's very interesting. You know, one, you know, it, it, even seeing the tree trying to figure out how someone got a whole body in there yeah was strange because it's like you know that that took some maneuvering and how did the kid crawl up in there high enough to see yeah. down into it right i, I mean of all the trees to go poaching in you know let's pick the easy one with the bird's nest in it no let's crawl over this thing that looks like a giant man-eating tree yeah yeah almost like the whomping willow from yeah. harry potter yeah. yeah i mean it's a difficult tree to get up into it looks like and how how far up the thing is with the skull that they could actually make out that there was a skull inside it because mm -hmm. the skull with the looks at and the pictures that you see it, it's all kind of dark with a dot mark so how did they even see that there was a skull they were looking for bird eggs and he saw, he took something and I think he saw the white of the skull. Also, uh, there was a bit of the white so skull. He, said, he, he thought it was a bird egg. And then he thought it was an animal bone or something. And so he got a stick and pulled it out. When they pulled it out, it still had um, some decomposing skin and some hair stuck to the skull. So the mm -hmm. kids freaked out. And that's when they like ran off and they're like, you know, they couldn't tell anyone because they were illegally poaching. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think the youngest one ended up going and telling his dad about it because he was so freaked <laughs> out by it. Yeah. And then they were also they were also poaching on Lord uh, Cobham's territory. Yeah. So they were actually poaching on Her Majesty's territories. It wasn't just yeah. some old old guy down the road that they didn't want to piss off. Don't want to piss off Her Majesty, sir. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, that um, that was interesting. Like I said, the, then the next thing you know, the police are out there, and that's mm -hmm. when they found the whole body. Um, and, and you know, I, I and maybe I just overlooked it, but I don't recall them saying how they removed her. I guess because, like I said, you know, was it just the perfect? they slipped her up in there and could slip her back out or did they have to like remove parts of the tree to get her out? Because I know that um, the the parts of it had started growing around her skull, hadn't it? That's right, yeah. Ooh. The bits that formed around about her. So the other thing is, is the, the tree must have been a lot smaller than, as well. So like you say, how did they fit her inside it when it was like a tiny tree or whatever? Maybe, oh. but she'd only been in there about 18 months. So I don't know how right. much the tree would have grown in that time. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. and I will say I saw some documentaries that were showing the tree and uh, or I guess similar trees and there's like a trunk in the middle of all the branches. Mm -hmm. It really made me think of like one of the, um, what was it? The, the wood nymphs, you know, you'll see the art mm -hmm. with the woman that's like in the tree. And that's kind of what it looked like. It was like um, the, the rendition I saw was like her face in the trunk of the tree. I mean, it, it was very weird. And when you start getting into the occult aspects of what people thought happened, mm -hmm. there's just, there's so much. And that's one reason I'm super excited that Stephen Kinney's with us tonight. Cause I know that, you know, with him being more regional than us, mm -hmm. he, he might have some insight more into the occult aspects of it. Yeah. yeah. I, have, I, I was reading up earlier there as well. I found an R site that dealt you quite a lot about different kind of things it was in. There was one, I don't know if you read about it, but there was one of her hands that had been cut for the corpse, supposedly, and it had been actually, the fat of the hand had been turned into a candle. Oh. Oh, I hadn't heard that, no. So it's, it was like a kind of witchy sort of kind of thing they had done to it. So it was quite kind of weird. There was another one as well, something about, uh, what was it? One of her arms had been left 13 paces for the skeleton remains, and that was the ancient sign of being a witch ex execution or a witch. Mm -hmm. So they may oh. have thought she was a witch. Yeah, well, that's what I read. That um, the the ritualistic manner that she had been disposed of in was one that they had served for um, witches' covens that one of the members had gone against them. Mm -hmm. So. That was I interesting. So they maybe thought she was a witch. And... But Scott, I'm going to ask you to give us the background because we're, we're kind of all over the place right now. But if you could tell us a little bit about the occult background for that hand and what it was called. Well, the occult background from this came years later. Uh, a professor, Margaret Murray of University College in London, uh, she was a noted archaeologist and Egyptologist. She also dabbled in the occult, and her reputation on the side of the occult wasn't as strong as it was on archaeology and Egyptology. But she made the theory, or proposed the theory, that the hand being separated from the body, she saw no way that, that the hand would just fall off, because the way the body was put in the tree, there was no signs of it being forced in. So the hand was separated. And she really doubted that an animal, like a squirrel, is going to take the hand, bring it 13 paces away, and leave it. So she thought, uh, thought she related it to the old story of what they call the hand of glory. That uh, witches used to do this. They used to take the seventh hand of somebody who just recently been executed and use that hand. They would, they would cut sever the hand from the body and imbue it with power. And it was supposedly had the power to see the future, heal people's lives. Magical. So because of the separation of the hand from the rest of her body, uh, Professor Murray 
made the rationalization that this was actually some type of witchcraft that was practiced in the area and that the body was of someone unknown, unidentified at the time, but they were disposed of and the hand was taken and the hand was used to be that coven's particular hand of glory. That's cool. Well, no, that's not, that's a bad choice of words. Not cool, but that's very interesting. It's cool. Yeah. Well, and see, the one of the most off the wall ones that I had read is that uh, someone said that she was wandering in the woods and fell into the trunk. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, the police discounted that immediately because they're like, there's absolutely no way that's what happened here. Yeah. But, you know, just some of the theories that people come up with when, you know, they can't explain something rationally. Did you well, see the one in 1968 that it claims that she was actually German? Uh, yeah, like a spy or something? Aye, she yes. was supposed to be a spy and she was dropped in in the Midlands to gather intelligence. Yeah, and she landed in the tree. Aye, basically. <laughs> No, well, it's going to be the unluckiest German spy in history. Well, actually, um, one of the things that I had read was that she was part of like a duo. Like there was her and a man that had worked together to find out where the factories were and to report back to the Luftwaffe that where these strategic factories were located. Because this happened in the middle of World War II. Right. Um, but does anybody are, have any more information about that? World War II and espionage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the theories is um, there was a Czech-born Gestapo agent, Joseph Jacobs. Um, he, he parachuted in in June 1941 uh, into Cambridgeshire. And he landed, broke his leg, sounds a lot like Rudolf Hess, and he was captured by the home god. Now, according to this theory, she, the woman's name was actually Clara Farrell, a German actress and a cabaret singer who was her lover. They were supposed, she was supposedly the one that he went in. He was going to establish contact with the German unit. She was going to parachute in, and they were going to be a team because um, she had apparently had, uh, she apparently had developed during the course of her actress. I think they called it a a Brummel accent, which was a very good British accent, and they claim that um, after June nineteen forty one. Nobody saw this German actress again. She didn't appear in cabarets. She didn't appear in movies. So that's one of the theories that she parachuted in after uh, her boyfriend, uh, Joseph Jacobs, fell into the tree, and that was the last they ever saw of her. But they were never able to talk to Jacobs about her because they had executed Jacobs in August 1941 for espionage. But wasn't she supposedly taller than... than Yes, yeah, she was like like six feet tall. The photographs of her didn't match the... Though I think... I'm sorry. 
Yeah, she was taller. They did a photograph. They did a uh, forensics photograph of her based on her skull later, and the, they didn't match. Mm-hmm. Now, the other World War II theory is similar to this, that she was a Dutch woman who was arrived in England. She was going to be part of an espionage team. There was another Dutch spy there who was working with, uh, let me see. Oh, there was a German, there was a British officer there who was working on the behalf of the Germans, spotting munitions factories. Um, I'm just taking a quick look at this. Um, And that she was flown in to be with him. There was another, um, they think her name some reports name her as Clarabella Dronkers, who lived in Birmingham, that she was part of it. And that's why you get the um, the Bella uh, in the, you know, uh, why is Bella buried in the witch elm? But according to this theory, she was working with the espionage group. And she was only supposed to be like a carrier. And she started to know too much information and started to ask too many questions. So the rest of the espionage group apparently set up she's too much of a liability. So according to this theory, they killed her. They crossed onto the property and stuffed her into the tree, not thinking that she'd ever be found. Now, my problem with that theory is if if you're an espionage team, why are you going to kill your person, walk onto the property of a British lord, and hide her in the tree? You're immediately drawing attention to yourself, which is something you really don't want to do if you're in the field of espionage. Right. Um, so that didn't make sense to me. But BBC Radio in August 2017 suggested, let's see, in 1953, a woman named Una Mossop um, said that her ex-husband, Jack Mossop, had confessed to a family member that he and a Dutchman named John Rat had put the woman, had put the woman in the tree. According to Mossop, him and Rat had gone for a drink at the Littleton Arms Pub, which is in Hag- Hagley. And they saw the woman drunk. She passed out. The men put her in the hollow tree in the woods in the hope that she would wake up and be frightened into seeing the error of her ways. And she died. And apparently, Mossop was a member of the British Army. So, my question is. Is it ironic that this story dealing with a Dutchman and a member of the British Army and this unknown woman ties a lot into the the MI5 theory that it might have been a British military officer as a spy working with a Dutchman who killed, who tried to uh, kill the woman because she was getting too nosy and they wanted to see wanted her to see the error of her ways. Right. And there was another uh, tie on that story about Mossop, too, saying that um, the route guy um, 
discovered that she was a spy and killed her. Mm. And then the two of them put her in the tree. Like I said, there's a, there are a couple of things on that particular yeah. thing that I came across. Yeah. The one you and just that, said there, Scott, the one about the two guys putting her in the tree. Yeah. To see that that could be it because there was a, one on there that I seen on the internet that said that she was actually, she would have needed to have still been alive to get put in the tree that way. That you couldn't put, if somebody was already dead and say in rigor mortis, it would have been impossible to get them in that position they were in. So yeah. they, were, they would have still had to have been warm, basically, so still been alive. Or at least just killed or whatever, maybe. But they couldn't have been dead long if they were dead, because you wouldn't have been able to get their body in a position to get them in. Right. I mean, there's other, and I mean, I read another theory in which there were two gentlemen. Um, one of them was taking a walk near the woods, and he heard this woman screaming. So he, and it was June 1941, which would have fit into the timeline by just an extra couple of months. And he ran into another local gentleman who also had heard her screaming. And they looked around, but there was no more screaming. So they decided, oh, it must have been our imagination or somebody having fun, and they left. So, I mean, there's that theory. There was another theory that uh, there was a, trying to make sure I get the, the town right. Well, there was talk also that it could have been a people murdering gypsies. And there was, after the war, there was a, um, a sex worker from Birmingham who said that uh, a woman matching the description of who was found in the tree and who used to do the Hagley Road, um, the Hagley Road route, uh, disappeared in uh, the summer of 1941. You've been listening to Weird Murders, Mysteries, and Mayhem, a segment of Weird Realities. And now for the final segment of today's Weird Realities, Episode 2 of Lowballing with Joe. Hi, welcome to the second edition of... Weird realities, uh, hard uh, lowballing with Joe Hansen. Anyways, I'm here today with uh, N.C. Reed and Dan Edwards and Alan Gamboa, of course. Uh, N.C. Reed, you may have noticed uh, or may have read some of his work. He's the author of the Fire from the Sky series, the Black Sheep of Silhan series, and Odd Billy Todd, which is one of my absolute favorite books. And he's also done several other standalones and. If you look them up, you'll find a lot of good material to read. With him today, by NC's invite, is Dan Edwards. I've never read any of Dan's work, but doing research on him, I'm 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 really impressed, and I'm looking forward to getting into some of his stuff. Uh, uh, I believe he wrote the the book uh, Billy the Kid: The Real Story. Am I getting that right, Dan? Uh, I did write a book. Yeah, Billy the Kid: An Autobiography. Yeah. An autobiography, okay. And then I heard something about the last uh, inmate of Alcatraz. Yeah, so I'm I'm NC's publisher, um, and so I started off writing, you know, my little book. Uh, it kind of did really well. I ended up on the History Channel, on Man versus History. Ended up on Travel Channel, on uh, Mysteries of the Museum, and uh, started publishing talent like NC Reed and 
So that's our story. But yeah, we have a little uh, studio uh, documentary publishing company. We have the book publishing business. And then I have just the one book that I personally did. Uh, I can't write as good as NC. So I had to. Uh, <laughs> not many not many people can to be honest. yeah that's true that's true you know, yeah. y'all are very kind i appreciate that <laughs> with me today is alan gamboa as always he's kind of my he's my producer my buddy my partner whatever you want to call him he's there to back me up he's the i'm the only one that showed up i'm the only one of your friends that would show up so <laughs> and not call me names afterwards actually yes there you go. He's, he's the author of the Operation Zulu series. He also wrote the Zombie Island, which he's hoping to do a sequel to someday, but we'll see how that works out. Uh, he's also a Five Roads to Texas author, which is a, a series six of us in the Fallon Express group got together and, and wrote, and we each carried on our own series after that. And he's also writing a science fiction story on uh amazon vela and um that's a really incredible story i think if you wanna if you're into vela i think you want to get on there and look him up he's really good well, i gotta be your friend now i'm gonna have to be your friend now after that holy crap i'll give you money if that's what it takes buddy <laughs> <laughs> and uh i'm joseph hansen i'm the author of the um what used to be zombie rust series but is now called um the No Man's Land series. It's a nine book series, which is complete. Uh, takes you through all phases of the apocalypse and right up through Armageddon when humanity faces death. I'm also a Five Roads to Texas author and have uh, four four books in that series. And I have some standalones like Sunny, uh, Wayward Son, and then my fantasy novel, Cataclysm, An Age of Legend. So we're all involved in the uh, literary field, and we're just going to shoot some questions back and forth at each other. And, you know, there's really no structure, so anybody answer as, as they will. I will direct the first question, though, to um, Tansy Reed, because I've been, I've been dying to ask him this. You know, he's a multi-genre author. Um, his Fire from the Sky series uh, I followed it, and I'm waiting for the next book on on audiobook. It should be hitting the shelves pretty soon because um, I know the print version is out. Um, but the style in that, if you read it, you'll find the style is is somewhat stiff, and and it's and, and it's obviously done intentionally because of um, when you read his other work, they're they're not stiff at all. Like Odd Billy Todd is just. An absolutely wonderful standalone, and I highly recommend you guys get that and pick it up. But then his fantasy or sword and sorcery series, uh, the Black Sheep of Solhan, uh, which I call the Parno series, is written in a completely style from those two all together. So, uh, tell me, Mr. Reed, how did you develop all your voices that you write with? Well, um. When I, you know, when I sit down and get started with an idea, a lot of times it'll morph from one idea into another. Uh, you can take Parno for an example. It started out three or four books back and evolved into what you what you see. Uh, the story, you know, kept uh, um, uh, evolving. That's the word I'm looking for. And uh, 
it does that does that works out on me a lot and i laughed i told dan one time i said you know i i don't understand why characters won't do what i tell them to <laughs> you know I, <laughs> i'll start writing kill them just for that reason well it's just <laughs> i've i've had to rewrite a lot of stuff because i get done and i think you know that that's not that's not how he or she would have done that uh, I usually save it for something else, but uh, as far as the voices go, honestly, I just try to imagine uh, the character that I've built. I, I try to build the characters a little bit before I ever sit down and start writing, and then uh, I try to imagine how would this character respond to this stimuli, whatever it is, anger or sadness or joy or whatever, and what would they say? And then I, as I try to imagine that conversation, I try to write it down. Makes sense. Makes sense. So is um, Dan is your editor as well? Yeah, he's pretty much my everything. That must be nice. that must be tricky for you getting all these voices coming in and different stories. I suppose we exchange a lot of emails. Yeah. <laughs> well fortunately we have people that do all that stuff and i just get to kind of sure. pull it together <laughs> so absolutely but, absolutely you know, nc is uh is just amazing and and uh and a great partner and um yeah my job as the publisher is to is to try to represent the his talent you know i mean he's got all the yeah. talent we don't you know the publisher you're you're really stuck. If if the author doesn't sell, then it's then it's the publisher's fault. If they sell a million copies, it's because they're a genius. And you know, we have a coming up on two dozen or so authors. But you know, I would say NC really is a genius. Uh, the way he can create worlds is a very unique gift that uh, he does exceptionally well. So you know, he deserves a publisher that can that can hopefully brand it and and communicate it and get it out there. Um, we've had some misses on some of the edits over the years. I had, if you want to, you know, shorten your lifespan, just become an editor for uh, creative text publishers. Cause our first one died, uh, <laughs> you know, oh, and, uh, then we had three more that came and went. So we, you know, editing is, uh, is one of the most interesting parts because, you know, a lot of people will use Grammarly or something, and then that's great. If you want it to sound like everybody else's book. And uh, right. one thing, if you read NC stuff, he doesn't sound like anybody else. He sounds like NC. No, no I, I agree. Uh, he he does have his own unique style, no matter what he's writing. I mean, um, what were some of the other books? Roland, I believe they never came out on Audible, but I did read them. Funny you should didn't mention you read, that. <laughs> didn't you, didn't you uh, read uh, write uh, something called The Paladin? Yeah, that was uh, Roland as a reluctant Roland, paladin, okay. you know, Roland, Roland. Sure. That was a long and, you time know, ago. Funny story, him. though, I, I had not, it didn't occur to me when I chose his name, you know, and I put reluctant paladin and somebody said, oh, like so-and-so. And I'm like, what? And I had, I had read that in high school and forgot all about it. So I sure. had to explain, no, no, that's not what I... <laughs> That's not where it comes from. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a nice concept. I I do I do see other than the Barnold series that you do tend to go with the uh, economic collapse type apocalypse, which well I know. did own that one, and then like yeah. uh, 
uh, with fire from the sky. Of course, it's the the coronal mass ejection. Right, right. That was and, a natural occurrence, correct? Right. So uh, uh, I the differences in what I write. Of course, I I've got a science fiction series called Stormcrow. Uh, I saw that. I, I I haven't read it yet though. Well, Stormcrow is is actually how I got started. I guess I uh, I wrote it as a fan fiction piece because uh, well, actually I was in the hospital with my mother and there was nothing to do, so I just sat in the waiting room and and typed all that up. And it was an idea that I had had for a, not a space opera necessarily, but just an adventure type of thing. Sure. And, and so I wrote it into a fan fiction just to have something to do. And uh, and then I wrote Odd Billy Todd. And I thought, you know, I I might can make money at this. <laughs> and, and that had not occurred to me. And so when uh, Billy and Roland had both been very successful, I I put Parno available, and then uh, I was writing Stormcrow. But actually, uh, I had signed with Dan by then, so he published Stormcrow, the first one and the second. So Fire Fire from the Sky, that was that's your latest work, huh? Because it's your biggest. Uh, yeah, it's got the most, uh, it's got the most, well, everything now, Parno, uh, Parno ended up, I guess, about 750,000 words spread over five books. That was supposed to have been a trilogy. I had it all mapped out nice and neat on a piece of piping paper and that didn't work at all. I like the fact, I like the fact that it ended, you know, the story came to a conclusion. You could pick it up well, again if you wanted, but it did, for the most part, yeah. came to a conclusion. I don't like books that don't have a an ending. Yeah. I don't. I don't well, care for that at all. I mean, I, I don't really either. I, I feel like I've and I've I have always been extremely grateful to everybody that reads or buys my stuff. Uh, they don't have to. They do it because they want to and because they enjoy it. And and I I feel like I owe it to them to make sure that whatever I put out is is well done. Uh, if I I've I've had several people after me for years about writing a sequel to Odd Billy Todd, and the problem is it it was written to be complete, and so I. My attitude has always been if I can figure out how to write a sequel, I will. Uh, you know, I have, it, I have a book I have a book like that myself called Sunny, and everybody says that I should write a sequel to it, and and um, I would, but it, there just isn't one. You know, well, it's, it's I mean, I can, you can always, you know, come up with something. But I just I refuse to just throw something out there with that name on it, just like for the sake of a dollar, you know. Right. Um, the, the, pe- the people that bought it and made it made me deserve better than mm-hmm. that, you know. And I mean, honestly, for something like that, nothing is better than something that's that's obviously a ripoff. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, that's a you know, because you'll see a, there'll be writers out there that are like, oh, you know what? 
I'll write this for the Bucks, just because I know a sequel, a prequel, or whatever will sell. And and that that's pretty cool, man. That you feel that way, that you respect you respect your readers and the fans of your works, obviously. And that's great. well. I mean, they they make they make me what I who I am. You know, I uh, if I if I don't respect them, then I'm. I'm basically just thumbing my nose at them, and I, I'm not going to do that. They, they've uh, made me who I am. No, no, most definitely. You I get that. it. I get it. You do see that, you know, in some of these writers, they put out something you'll pick up. I've read books where it's like this guy. I obviously, halfway through the book, the guy's like, you know what? I'm just going to throw it out there and know it, eat it up. So that's very cool, man. Yeah, I, I think that. And and I'm I'm the same way about books that don't end. Uh, I feel, uh, you know, that if you, I just finished a nine book series, and and uh, and the ending was the climax of the whole story, and um, I'm excited, and that's the way it should be. So, do you outline, or do you just kind of sit down and start writing? Honestly, I wind up outlining. I wind up outlining books in reverse. They get so complicated <laughs> that I have to, you know. Um, yeah, revision. Parno, yeah. Parno, for instance, you know, it wasn't supposed to be nearly as complicated and have so many working parts. And uh, again, you know, characters just won't do what I say, and it wound up growing and getting ever more complicated. And so I've got to start writing down, okay, this guy, I had him do this and this guy. And uh, so, like, uh, especially with uh, Fire from the Sky now, I sat down with just a basic idea, just like I always do, and I started typing. And by the third book, I guess, I'm sitting here with a big old uh, drawing board and trying to, make a diagram with who does what and from where and who I've killed. And there's a long list of characters that I've killed that I have to very carefully X them out or they'll be in the next book. Yeah. And worse yet, I tend to work on more than one project at a time. So, you know, you'd have Parno saying something in Fire from the Sky early on and then have Clayton Sanders show up in Parno and I get an email from Dan, you know, NC, did you really mean to have Carlos show up on the Sanders farm? And I'm like, no, that, that was supposed to happen. Thank you for listening to Weird Realities. If you want to hear the full version of these episodes, find us at weirdrealities.net or on your favorite podcast player. Weird Realities Podcast is made possible by Lauren Smith, producer, with Night Callers Production, and Logan Craft with Beaver Hook Productions.